So we've just come across this tragic milestone. The war in Ukraine has been going on for a month, a month and a day now, and the tragedy is kind of unfolding before our eyes every single day, and it just seems like it's getting worse. I know, Mark, you and I have had a number of conversations since the beginning of this conflict, but now seems like an opportune moment to kind of gauge what you've been seeing, what you're hearing, and what you're thinking on that side of the Atlantic. Well, it's great chatting with you again, Mike, about uh, these issues. From over here, it basically seems to me that after a month, the Russians are stuck. Uh, their initial invasion plan didn't go according to as they expected. They've been stalemated. And without mobilizing reserves, which seems to be something that President Putin very much doesn't want to do because uh, of the possibility of a popular backlash, Russia can't continue with a conventional military offensive. And therefore, I think what we have to be really worried about is that to achieve their aims, they're going to increasingly target civilians. We've seen Russia do this in the past, most recently in Syria, where uh, they precisely attacked hospitals, bombed humanitarian corridors, and before that in Chechnya in both the 1990s and early 2000s. Uh, and I think the Western policymakers underestimate the risks and danger of this humanitarian target, of this civilian targeting. Um, there's a tremendous amount of compassion and welcoming of refugees in Europe now. But as we've seen in other recent conflicts, that trails off with time and refugees ultimately become hot button political issues. Hungary and Sweden both have uh, elections within the next couple of months. France and the US both have elections in the fall. As, human as civilians are increasingly targeted, that's going to have electoral effects. And also, civilian targeting may push Ukraine's government to accept a bad peace to stop the hurt. What do you think, Mike? Well, no, I think these are, these are really astute observations. I've been kind of having the same reactions. And I would just add to this that I think the horror of watching modern weapons being used against civilian targets in real time on CNN or Fox News or Twitter I mean, it's going to have a visceral, it is having a visceral effect on both voters, but also political leaders. And it's going to create this urge to do something. And of course, the challenge for policymakers is to make sure that something they do is meaningful in terms of helping Ukraine repel the invasion, but also not necessarily guaranteed to bring the United States in or NATO into the conflict, which of course brings us to the, the no-fly zone idea. I mean, it, intuitively, it, it seems very appealing. I know from the American perspective, this idea that we can use air power to decisively defeat our adversaries without necessarily getting our hands messy, it's always resonated. We've seen these no-fly zones used in the past. It strikes me as a case of the 1990s are calling and they wants their bad idea back. But what are, what are your thoughts on these proposals to implement some kind of a no-fly zone in order to stop the suffering? Thanks, Mike. You know, I've been thinking about the no-fly zone quite a bit. And it seems to me that there's really three big objections one can have to it. The first is it's highly escalatory. I mean, a no-fly zone will involve NATO pilots shooting down Russian pilots. And that can escalate into much larger levels of violence very quickly. 
Secondly, a no-fly zone doesn't accomplish much in terms of preventing the targeting of civilians because most of the damage that's being done to civilians and civilian infrastructure is right now being done by artillery. That's both traditional tube artillery as well as multiple rocket launchers. And I guess the final thing is that a no-fly zone is very difficult to implement in a technical sense. Russia has surface-to-air missiles, the S-400, for example, that have a range against aircraft of up to 185 kilometers. So the Russians can sit outside of the no-fly zone in Ukraine and threaten NATO aircraft flying within it. So as much as I think that we need to come up with a solution to this, to the humanitarian problems that are creating the drive for the no-fly zone, I think the no-fly zone is an extremely bad idea. Could you maybe tell us a bit about what are the alternatives that you see? Well, I mean, first of all, I just do need to echo, like I couldn't agree with you more on that point, but of course we come back full circle to the fact that morally we have to do something, politically it will not be palatable to do nothing. And, and I think that there are opportunities and you know, you and I have been working on some of these ideas and have written about this. I, I think a, a key thing we have to keep in mind, though, is as we discuss escalation risk, we always do have to remember that escalation isn't necessarily ours to control. And we've, we've already seen this from the beginning of the conflict, that Putin doesn't necessarily need a pretext. He can kind of concoct his own. And so we do have to be cognizant of the fact that we could do nothing and still find ourselves in a position in which we have no choice but to respond to an escalation, which I think actually opens up opportunities for us to discuss options and things that we can possibly